0: Uh, do we have uh, anyone here who is an ordinary person? Not 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 extraordinary. Not not weird. <laughs> not alien. Is it just ordinary. Ordinary. Who's an ordinary person? Ordinary person. Ryan's ordinary person. I'm looking at some of you raising your hand, and I'm thinking, nah. <laughs> not 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 so much. Really, who, who, who's an extremely ordinary person? You're not, you're not, no. No? Average in every way? Obscure? Mediocre? Anyone? Yeah, not always. Papa, seriously. You got too much character for that. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe we're aspiring to ordinary. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I, uh, I've been thinking a lot lately how really bringing, uh, bringing the kingdom into people's lives is all about uh, bringing the extraordinary into the ordinary. The kingdom of God is a very otherworldly place, uh, it's very unusual. Um, those of us who follow Jesus sort of defy worldly convention uh, a lot. Um, but we live. Uh, We live in an ordinary world, and a lot of what we do as ministers, particularly a lot of what we do as evangelists, as gatherers, as spreaders of the gospel of God's love and presence, is to sort of upset the status quo. I mean, we're we're sort of, as followers of Jesus, we're kind of called to upset the status quo, to upset the ordinary, even though many of us are ordinary-type people. And, and the way that we do that is by being inappropriate in some fashion. You know, you're having a, a conversa- an ordinary conversation with someone. If you want to bring Jesus into it, you have to be willing to be a little bit inappropriate, right? Uh, if you want to really open people uh, to the love and presence of God, you have to be a little bit provocative, right? You have to be willing to do that. Otherwise, you're just, you're not just ordinary, you're status quo. Nothing wrong with being ordinary, very much wrong with being status quo. We're just kind of letting things go uh, as they are. A great way to uh, provoke is to ask questions. Uh, I I love to ask questions in the middle of ordinary conversations. Uh, Some of my favorite questions to ask include, what's something in your life that you've learned it's important not to be afraid of? Let me ask you that. Is there anything in life that you've learned it's really important not to fear? The, The future? Yeah? What are some good answers? So, doing something for the first time? Somebody said pain. People. It's good not to fear people in spite of who you may be sitting next to this morning. That's a great question because whenever you talk about fear, you almost have to talk about faith because faith is the thing that overcomes it. Uh, it's the opposite of fear. Here's another question Has there ever been a moment in your life that changed everything? Has there ever been? Let me ask you that. Let me put a, a positive spin on it. Has there ever been a moment in your life that changed everything for the better? That's a great question, because you can't ask that question and not talk about change. Uh, and changefulness is what you have to do uh, to grow. Um, that's, a, that's a huge key. Just sort of be provocative uh, in that way. I have found that another uh, huge key uh, to being provocative out there in our ordinary lives is to be Supernatural. Uh, Jesus made a very big deal about supernatural things uh, for those who followed him, particularly for those of us who follow him and want to minister to the world, want to be a blessing to the world around us. Uh, We've been talking about that uh, for a couple weeks now. Uh, to follow Jesus means to be a supernatural person to be willing to do supernatural things in a world that does not expect it You know, to, to, uh, to bring uh, some instant and supernatural healing to somebody who needs it and Michi shared uh, her testimony uh, earlier in the service about uh, how her uh, torn rotator cuff was healed uh, unexpectedly and instantly because the Lord had it on his uh, agenda one morning well that's a provocation is it not? I mean, that's great. Uh, And how many of you know any sick or injured people out there in the world? Anybody? Yeah, about 100% of us. Uh, Prophecy is another great way to do that, just to listen to the Lord and to share what you think he's saying to you uh, in in the here or now. But it doesn't matter how we are inappropriate or how we are provocative. uh, The hard fact is that sometimes it can fizzle or backfire. How many of you have tried to heal someone, found an opportunity out there in the world, tried to bring supernatural healing to them, and failed? Yeah. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Great. All right, so just to be fair, how many of you have tried that and succeeded? Yeah. Roughly an equal number, and isn't that interesting? <laughs> if you are willing to try and fail, that is kind of the precondition for experiencing success down the line right they, they come together now if you've ever tried to do a miracle in Jesus' name to heal someone to deliver a prophecy to someone to oh I don't know cast out a demon or to fill someone with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and not had it gone so well if you have failed then you have probably asked why why didn't that work Uh, Because in the Bible, we read about things like that. Jesus uses them very effectively. Jesus' followers use those sorts of supernatural ministries very effectively to spread the kingdom, to spread God's love and and the good news of his presence. But why do we fail when we try to do uh, those good supernatural things? And you might find yourself asking questions, as many people in the worldwide church do. Does God simply not empower miracles today like he used to? I mean, did all that stuff stop Uh, way back when at some point or um, do we have to convince God to do them uh, when we want them, right? Is the key convincing God uh, to help us out when we want miracles maybe by praying with great fervor or, you know, sort of impressing him into cooperation because you know what God's like, Uh, he's stingy, right? Right? No, and that's the problem. You actually read the New Testament. You read the Jesus stories. You read the stories of the early Jesus followers. And the God of of the New Testament certainly did not seem stingy about supernatural stuff. In fact, as we have covered in this sermon series, he pretty much commanded us to do them. Right? To be obedient uh, is to try to minister supernaturally. Uh, Jesus said, uh, for instance, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, look, go and preach the message of the kingdom of God to the whole world and heal the sick. cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cause the blind to see. Go, preach that God loves you and is with us. Do some supernatural things that will really help provoke the world into consideration and acceptance of of Jesus and, and the ways of God. It turns out, that it's not that God is set against us doing miracles. It's that He's designs things in such a way that we have to do our bit to grow in the miracle working power that God makes available to us. It is a partnership. We've spoken about that already in the sermon series. God partners with us to get things done in the world. That's just the way that he has designed the universe. Uh, if uh, people are going to hear about the gospel in some unreached corner of the world, how is it going to happen? Is God going to appear in the sky and preach the gospel to them? Maybe, that would be a cool story, but under normal circumstances, the way it's gonna happen is that we are going to rise up and go. We are the carriers of the kingdom of God. That applies to carrying the truth about the kingdom of God, and it applies to carrying the power um, of supernatural ministries that we've become so fond uh, around here. And in that partnership, God develops us in supernatural power for ministry. Just like he develops us in character. Just like he develops us in other sorts of ministries and purposes. Same, same. Same, same. Um, The question is, what do we do to grow in supernatural power for those provocative ministries like healings or deliverances or prophecies and the like? Once you ask that question, once you ask yourself, hey, what do I do to grow in the flow of God's supernatural power for such ministries? Once you ask that question, then I think it's pretty easy to see that Scripture actually has a a lot to say about it. Jesus has a lot to say about it. The stories that we read in Scripture have a lot uh, to say about it because a lot of those stories are stories about growing in ministry, growing in sharing the kingdom uh, of God on, on earth. Now, you might think, knowing nothing else, that the closer you are to God, the more godly your behavior, the more godly your life, then the more able you will be to flow in supernatural power for ministry. And I think you'd, you'd be accurate. I, I think that is definitely true. If you live like Jesus, you're more able to flow in the power that Jesus had. That makes sense, right? Right? There's some sort of intuitive sense to that? Just, just agree with me for the sake of encouraging me on a, on a, on a wet morning. Thank you. There we're, thank you. Um, true, but Jesus himself often broke it down a little more specifically uh, than that. And that's what I want to talk about today. I just want to talk about the stuff that you do, not just to grow closer to God, but to grow in your capacity to flow in the supernatural power that God makes available to us so that we can be provocateurs, so that we can be inappropriate in the ordinary world. Obedience is a big part of growing in power, just like it's a big part of getting closer to God. Uh, faith, of course, is a big part of it because where you have uh, a lot of faith, uh, miracles are more possible. Consecration is part of it. Consecration it means like sacrificial uh, living, sanctification. Um, and another big part of it are what Scripture calls uh, spiritual gifts or supernatural gifts, um, uh, impartations from the Spirit that give us a leg up in certain ministry areas. All these things increase the amount of the Spirit's power flowing in us and all these things grow us closer to God as well. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? On uh, God's economy. So, question for the day. What specifically can you do uh, to grow in these areas? And I just want to take a look at that. I want to, uh, to break it down um, using uh, a little device uh, that uh, I have, I've probably used for, I don't know, 15 years. Uh, and it's something that I call the power equation. The power equation. Which is as mathematical as I ever get, uh, I think it's up on the big board. is it over there? I cannot see there it is. everybody on the count of three. ooh, ready, one, two, three. Ooh. Thank you, thank you now uh. Trying to take, you know, kingdom truths and boiling them down with mathematical precision is a dubious enterprise because God really isn't a formulaic fellow. And calling something the power equation is a little bit cheesy. I'm really embarrassed about it because, you know, the power equation sounds like something that you really hear about on a late night infomercial, right? It's like at the power equation, you'll, you'll work part-time, pay off your debts, and lose inches off your waist all in the comfort of your home. You know, that's, that, that's what it sounds like. And so I'm kind of embarrassed about that. But what, what this is is just a, just a way that I organize uh, my, my thinking on, on the subject. Uh, just, just find it helpful. You could organize it in a different way, and you could use different, different uh, categories. But, you know, this is what I've come up with. So deal with it, people. Uh, I want to go through... Uh, the various elements I've listed tell you uh, what they are. But the first thing, the reason I put it uh, in an equation like this, the reason I talk about God's power uh, in in this way, uh, is because it the concept of of, of an equation uh, is helpful to me. Uh, you will notice those of you who who remember high school algebra, and how many of you remember high school algebra? Just you know, just six. All right, great. So so not not a not a great many. Um, but this is what you call a multivariable equation. Yeah, yeah, which means there are more than one th- thing just multiple things added together to make up a whole. That, that, was that too professorial, or you, you follow me so far? Everybody hanging with me so far? <laughs> Uh, this has four variables actually, authority and gifting and faith and consecration and variables go up and down. Um, Different things combined together uh, to make us powerful people in the kingdom of God, in other words. And and that might not sound like much of an insight to you, but there are all these popular theologies out there that, that that express it differently. And the most famous one is is what is sometimes called word theology or faith healing or name it, claim it, or something like that. And it goes something like this. If you just have enough faith, if you just believe hard enough, you will always get the miracle that you want. Have you heard that? And and the problem is that you're just not believing hard enough, right? You really, really, really have to believe. Um, And all sorts of problems with that. Belief, faith, is a hugely important thing in the kingdom of God. It's extraordinarily powerful, but let's not be simpletons about it, right? Um, The the father who had brought his his boy uh, to Jesus to see him healed uh, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples tried to heal the boy the first round, and they failed. And Jesus said, hey… Anything is possible to him who believes. And what does the father reply? Do you remember? I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, his faith was sort of compromised. But Jesus accepted it. He took it and ran with it. All right, that's enough faith for me. And he he healed the boy. Uh, You know, the father was open. He did not have world-class faith. But he evidently had something else (laughs) uh, that helped him along. How many of you are sort of there? Yeah, I believe. Help uh, me overcome my belief. You know, that, that happens. That happens a lot. Um, other things, you know, things I think about in the middle of the night. Uh, in, in, in Scripture, uh, there are several stories of dead people getting raised from the dead. How much faith does a dead person have? On the other hand, how much doubt does a dead person have? You know, I'm thinking it's about a neutral Um, but, you know, dead people get raised, and you might say to yourself, oh, well, see, it's not the faith of the person receiving the miracle that counts. It's the faith of the person doing the miracle, right? If anybody had perfect faith in Scripture, who was it? I'm going to go with Jesus. Jesus goes to his hometown in Mark chapter 6. What happens? It says he could do no miracles there. And he was astonished at their lack of faith. In other words, when Jesus' perfect faith encountered a bunch of doubt and cynicism, even Jesus couldn't pull off a miracle, you know. So you might say, ah, well, faith is additive. The, The amount of faith to do a miracle today is my faith plus all of your faiths added together, and I think you would be right. You know, faith is an environmental type of thing, which is why Jesus often kicked out the doubters when he was trying to do the big miracles, you know, he, you, you see him do that on occasion. You, leave. I have work to do. <laughs> You're just a drag right now. Um, then there are funny stories like we get in Second Kings chapter 13. Elisha, the great miracle-working pr- prophet, has died of a disease, a failed healing, in other words. Uh, and he's in a cistern. You know the story? I shared it with some of you recently. The prophet has died. His bones are in a tomb. The gravediggers on another day take out another person who has died. They're digging a new grave for them. But some Moabite raiders come galloping over the horizon. Israel's enemies are coming to raid the crops. The gravediggers panic. They pick up the dead body and they throw it into Elisha's tomb. The dead body falls upon Elisha's bones. Do you know the story? What happens to the dead body? Comes back to life. And so I ask myself, okay, whose faith was that? Was it? the first dead guys or the second dead guys? (laughs) In other words, there's something else going on. And if you just use your simple Sunday school brain, you can see that, right? You can figure it out if you just sort of open to it. So faith is up there, but it's not the only story. And another thing I want you to understand is that this is additive, right? Which means that one thing can compensate for another. If you are having a low faith day, but you know, you have consecrated yourself mightily or you are very gifted in a ministry area or something like that, then you can compensate for your lack of faith. It's like, you know, eating a nutritious diet. You don't just eat spinach, although it's very nutritious. You have to get a variety of things and there are different ways to get your vitamin A, right? things add together. And then one final comment about that is that the amount of power that you need for a given miracle goes up and down. That sounds a little bit like an engineer talking, but actually I think it's biblical. When the disciples failed to cast out the demon from the sick little kid in Mark chapter nine, Jesus said, ah, well this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. In other words, this kind, the especially tough kind, takes a little bit of, of work and preparation and you guys didn't do it. So, you know, intuitively, you might appreciate that. It probably takes more power to heal a cancerous tumor than to heal a headache, right? And, and I think that's, that's probably true. So let's just go through these things really quickly. Uh, and again, this is just to sort of encourage us, uh, to break it down, to encourage us in growing in certain ways, to give us hooks upon which to, uh, you know, to hang our readiness and, and, and preparation. Um, By growing in authority, uh, I mean growing in obedience to the Lord. Um, When the disciples come back from their first missionary journey without Jesus in, say, Luke chapter 10, um, they say, Lord, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Before they went out, Jesus had given them authority over all kinds of sicknesses and demons. They came back and they said, well, we, we, we invoked your name and it worked, right? Uh, we move in obedience to your name, and that gives us a lot of authority, a lot of supernatural authority in the world. I liken it to uh, being in the army. If you are a private or a corporal in the army, and you go to the front lines, and you start giving people orders, who's going to listen to you? Absolutely nobody. Uh, you all right? Come on, military people, back me up on this. No, nobody will listen to you but if you're a private or a corporal you get called into hq and the general says look tell everybody on the front lines to charge i'm giving you written orders with my signature and then you walk out to the front lines and you start giving orders everybody already we're going to charge in the name of the general i have authority then everybody's going to listen to you and that's how it is for us when we follow jesus's commands we have jesus's authority And so if you want more authority to do supernatural things, uh, grow in obedience. Does that make sense? The more obedient you are, the more able you are to flow in the supernatural power of God. It's also the closer you are to God, but the more you'll be able to flow in in the power of God. So do things that increase the level of obedience in your life if you want to be a powerful minister. That means uh, obeying scriptural commands, and I think that means, you know, obeying those prophetic nudges that you get from the Lord every day. Uh, when I when I pray in the morning, I say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Tell me something to do. Please tell me something. And that's not because I don't have a long list of things to do already. I do, but I know if the Lord tells me to do something and then I obey it, I move on it. I'll have that much more authority, that much more power when I do. And that's a, a huge part of my conversation uh, with with the Lord. My favorite example of this comes from a story in Matthew chapter 14. It's a familiar story. Uh, Jesus has sent his disciples across the lake uh, without him. He's going to come along later. They're out there rowing in the middle of the lake. A storm comes up. Waves are high. Wind is rough. They're freaking out in the middle of the storm, and then here comes Jesus walking on the water, right? He's just, he's just surfing. And first they're freaked out, but then they realize it's Jesus, and then Peter says something that I think is just genius. He says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water for a while until he gets afraid, until his faith flops. But he's walking on water. That's a pretty big deal. And, and this is what I think went through Peter's head in the boat. He thought, that looks really cool. I would much rather be surfing than Freaking out in this little boat in the middle of the storm. Jesus is at peace walking on the water. I'm, I'm just freaking out. I want to be like him. I want to be powerful and peaceful like him. But I can't. I can't. That's impossible. You cannot walk on water. But if Jesus tells me to do it, I know I can. And that's genius. That's That's really a foundation for all manner of miraculous stuff in the world, for all manner of supernatural ministry. Does God command you to heal people? He flat out commands us to do it numerous times in Scripture, Jesus does. You know, does he tell you to raise the dead? How many of you have tried? It's it's a significantly intimidating thing uh, to try and do something. But in obedience, I know I can do it because you have told me to do it. And then you step out on that obedience, just like you're stepping out on water. You become more powerful. Your authority goes up. So eh, there's, there's one thing. By contrast, disobedience reduces your power. My favorite way of illustrating this is think about demonization or something like that. If you are addicted to alcohol and you try to cast a demon of addiction out of someone else, will that demon listen to you? No, that demon already controls you. Right, you have no authority because you have no obedience. Um, so that—that's a real cost of sin uh, in, in, in my life. When I fail to heal some sick little child, I almost always, you know, go to my prayer closet and repent of everything that I can think of. Sin grieves me when I don't move as powerfully and compassionately as Jesus did. Another reason to get sin out of your life. And there's gifting. When I'm talking about gifting, I, I'm talking about the sort of spiritual gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 14. Such gifts are not foreign to a church like Blue Water Mission. Um, Paul writes both of those letters. And he said, hey, some people are gifted in prophecy. Some people are gifted in words of knowledge or words of wisdom. Some people are gifted in healing. The word he uses for gifting is charismata, <clears throat> which literally means supernaturalisms. Some people are just supernaturally gifted in certain areas. This is how the Holy Spirit distributes um, power uh, among us. Some of us are gifted teachers. Some of us are gifted healers. Some of us are gifted prophets. Uh, Paul to the Romans says that administration is actually a supernatural gift. In the Old Testament, music and art are listed as supernatural gifts. You know, some kids, they just come out of the womb and they can play concertos. It's just like, it's just a gift, right? We're all familiar with that phenomena, but but there are all sorts of versions of it. But people have different gifts. We are all gifted differently. Right? Not, not all of you are gifted in the way I am, and I'm not gifted in the way that you are, which means what? Which means we need each other. We need to work together, which means we have to learn to love each other. And that sucks, because a lot of you guys bug me. And I know I bug you, but we need to get through that. Uh, so that we can move powerfully in the kingdom of God. I think uh, the genius of spiritual gifts, of giving different people different gifts, is that people have to learn to live together in a family in order to be maximally powerful in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Do you know what your gifts are? If you don't, we have this thing called the Spiritual Gifts Lab. It meets Sunday night at 5 p.m. over in the church office, and you get to explore um, you'd be welcome. You can talk to me about it or Jeannie or uh, any of the people that you see up on the ministry line after, uh, after service. The way a gift works is that if you have the gift of healing, you are particularly good at it. If you don't have the gift of healing, can you still heal somebody? Certainly. It will just be a little harder for you than someone who's not gifted. Music is called a spiritual gift. Uh, my wife was up here singing. Does she have the gift of music? I think she has a gift of music. Um, if TJ came up here to sing, would he have the gift of music? I think we would discern that perhaps he does not. <laughs> you can all sing. I was watching you. Most of you were singing during the worship time. But if I put a microphone in front of you and made you sing a solo, we would discern which ones of us have the gift of music and which ones of us don't. We can all do it, but some of us are gifted at it. You following me? Just because you don't think you have the gift in something is no excuse not to try. It just means if you're not gifted in it, you better have a lot of authority, a lot of faith, a lot of (laughs) consecration. That's how it works. What's the easiest way to get a gift if you don't have it? Ask Ask God. You can. You can ask God because he is the giver of gifts. And last week we get to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit fills us with presence and power, he often distributes gifts to us at that point. But there's an easier way, by which I mean a lazier way, and so a preferable way. Yeah, bring, bring somebody along. Uh, Sonia and I used to have a band together. I was not the lead singer, right? Uh, I'd be the guy in the back. I would play instruments and, and stuff like that. I would let her use her gift. But because I partnered with her, I had, I had that gift, right? If I'm going to heal somebody on the cancer ward and I don't have the gift of healing, I just grab one of the brothers and sisters who does and I bring them with me. Unity, right? Teamwork counts. That's what that's about. Faith, we've already talked about. Um, Faith is very powerful. The Lord has designed the universe in such a way that where people have a lot of faith, where people are trusting in the love of God most, where they are risking on God most, in those places, you will find it much easier to do uh, miracles. Uh, And that's really easy to understand why the Lord designed the universe in that way. Because the whole point of life is learning to trust God. The whole Christian battle boils down to, do you or do you not believe that God is nuts about you? Um, And we talk about that a lot. Trust is really the thing that we're trying to develop in in this life. Uh, Trust in the Lord. So it makes sense that where there is a lot of trust, trust enough to risk, trust enough to try, that God would sort of honor that with his presence and and, and with his power. Uh, Faith is additive, though, because, again, unity counts. And so, you know, we are more powerful when we believe together, which means that when I try to do supernatural ministries, I try to be a manager of faith. You know, we're going to try and do some miracles here today in a few minutes, and when we do that, I'm going to try and get you all to get your faith on. Right, One of the ways in which you build faith up in a family or a crowd or a ministry team is by sharing testimonies. And I love to do testimonies. I love, you know, Michi comes up and says, yeah, I had, you know, I had an injury. Uh, Part of it healed with a lot of hard work. Part of it healed supernaturally uh, one day. God is like that, right? Anything is possible. And I know that that built some faith for some of you who perhaps are sick or injured uh, this morning. Testimony uh, releases faith. Uh, we will continue to make testimony a big part of our services. And then finally, there's this thing called consecration, uh, which is a word that you might not use a lot in everyday conversation. Consecration is an old-fashioned word. It literally means, means to, to make sacred. Uh, and the word sacred comes from the word blood. So to, to make a sacrifice, in other words, is a consecrating, a sanctifying, a difference-making event. Whenever you sacrifice something to God, he makes that thing wondrous for you. He makes it powerful for you. A life of consecration is a life of godly sacrifice. Before Jesus began his public ministry, the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he didn't eat for 40 days. Now, is eating a sin? Sometimes, depends what you eat, (laughs) says the aerobics instructor. Oh, there's nothing wrong with eating, so why did Jesus make a big deal not to eat for 40 days? Well, what he was doing is he was sacrificing his flesh in preference for his spirit. He said, I'm going to set this aside for God for now. I'm going to set aside my stomach uh, so that things are really consecrated, so that the Lord really has control over that, you know, uh, a lot of you, uh, if you are single, are consecrating your sexuality right now you 're setting it aside. you are sacrificing it um, you know it 's not it 's not useless it 's very powerful because you have set it aside for the Lord uh, at least at least for the time being and whatever you sacrifice to the Lord, He makes powerful for you. You will never regret that choice if you are doing it. It will release a whole bunch of supernatural power into your life and into uh, your marriage relationship someday should uh, should you, uh, you get married? Consecration is a, is a natural part of, of what we do. And if you want to grow, consecrate more. Whatever you sacrifice to the Lord, He will make powerful for you. When I have some big event coming up or I 'm trying to get some big healing, I will often do a lot of prayer and fasting, which is what uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter nine. So Jesus, uh, this is where He heals the little boy uh, who is afflicted with a we would call it a very severe case of epilepsy. They didn 't have that word epilepsy back in those days, but the kid had a very severe neurological disorder, robbed him of speech, it often knocked him unconscious. He would have these fits he 'd fall into fire or water. The kid was in really, really bad shape. And, uh, and evidently, this condition had started with the involvement of a demon. And so the the kid's father brings the child to Jesus' disciples. Jesus is absent at the moment. And the disciples try to cast out the afflicting spirit to heal the little boy. They fail. Jesus comes along. He speaks with the boy's father. The boy's father says, I believe, help my unbelief. They go through this whole faith exercise. And then Jesus casts out the demon. The boy is healed. But the disciples, who at this point had pulled off a lot of miracles, are still puzzled wow, Jesus did it, but we failed. We we did everything that we saw Jesus do. Why did did we fail? After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why did we fail? This is a question I asked Jesus all the time in life about any number of things. Why did I fail at this supernatural ministry, this, this compassionate thing that I was trying to do? And Jesus replied, well, this kind, the particular tough kind can only come out by prayer. And depending on one translation of the Bible you have, uh, it will read, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. In other words, what you needed to do, boys, was to prepare. You needed to set aside time, which is an incredibly valued commodity, for prayer. Because an hour spent in prayer is an hour spent with God, not with the world you needed to set aside time. You needed to consecrate time. Fasting, you needed to set aside your flesh and really make it a servant of the kingdom. You know, make sure your flesh is serving the Lord rather than you serving your flesh. You know, That stuff counts, Jesus said. The stuff that you set aside for me counts. And then they probably reflected, oh yeah, Jesus does get up a great while before dawn every day and prays. Oh yeah, before Jesus started his public ministry, he did spend 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting and, and what else? Resisting temptation, obedience, which is authority. Jesus prepared. And we haven't done that yet. We've done the technique, but we have not done the workouts behind it. Um, Back to the power equation. What do you think? Does that make sense? It's sort of a cheesy way to explain it. Um, But the reason I like it is because it suggests to us that there is a way to get better at the impossible. Which sounds weird when you say it like that, right? But there is a way for us to get better at the impossible. Or let's soften it a little bit. There's a way for any ordinary person to get better at the extraordinary. And it just involves drawing close to God in certain ways. You know, through obedience. uh, Through embracing the gifting and the calling that he has on your life. Through faith, which is the point of everything anyway. And through consecration sacrificing things to God. You know why sacrifice is so important in the kingdom of God, why it releases so much power? It's because sacrifice is the currency of love. When you sacrifice for somebody, you love them. Until you sacrifice for somebody, you probably haven't loved them much yet. No greater love as a person than this than he or she laid down his or her life for her, his friend. It's when you lay down your life for somebody that we get great love. It's not when you enjoy somebody. It's not when you spend time with somebody. It's when you sacrifice for somebody. Power happens. And then you can be provocative. Uh, One point I'd like to leave you with before we start uh, our ministry time today. The thing that really helps me pursue these elements that encourages me to grow closer to God in this way is the same thing that helps me pursue, say, evangelism. Um, and that thing is, is community. What really helps me is having co-travelers, people who are doing it with me. The reason I've talked about evangelism incessantly for the last three months is, is, is because, you know, obedience is important. <laughs> evangelism is inappropriate and otherworldly. It's strange. And so I, I need us to constantly be reinforcing it in one another. That helps me, right? I mean, it's one thing if you know it's a biblical command. That should motivate you. But the thing that will motivate you even more is if everyone around you is doing it. Positive peer pressure. We have a lot of negative peer pressure around here. So how about we as a faith community do some positive uh, peer pressure? Uh, Yeah. The reason we worship together on Sunday mornings is because it's a consecrating exercise. And if we worship together powerfully here, it will be easier for me to do individually during the week, right? That's why I show up on time. Well, that's not why I show up on time. I show up on time because I need to turn in the sermon slides. But that's why you might show up on time, the church, is to really invest in the consecrating exercise uh, of worship, right? Which is going to bless the people around you and might even bless you, might help you be a more consecrated person. If we resist that as a body, then, of course, we will be less powerful uh, as a body. We share testimonies of faith every week uh, because then it builds our faith and we can carry our faith out into our ordinary lives. Faith is always an extraordinary things, and We try to create an environment here where everyone uses their gifts, whatever those gifts are. We try to identify them and get them going, whatever your gift is. My main job as a central leader in the church is to make sure that you do it. Right? The church changes every time a new person walks in because you brought us a new gift that I am responsible to use well. So we, so we do things that, you know, we paint, we video, uh, we dance, uh, we sing. Uh, some of us teach, not very well, but trying to use the gift. We create that environment in part to encourage uh, everyone to use their gifts throughout can we be that kind of community? Yes. Help each other? Yep. Two of us can. Yeah. Fantastic. Does anybody out there have the gift of encouragement? Yeah. Not, not, not just encouraging me, because, I mean, let's face it, I'm probably hopeless, but encourage the people next to you, you know? Let, let's exchange some high fives. Let's just be ridiculous for 15 seconds. 15 seconds of ridiculous encouragement. So how many ordinary people do we have out there? How many of you are leading fairly ordinary lives, nine to five during the week? Anybody? Anybody? You're afraid to answer me, aren't you? Can we just kind of agree together to be inappropriate and provocative during those times? Asking provocative questions, uh, making inappropriate sacrifices, and from time to time, ministering in supernatural fashion uh, to bring the kingdom wherever we go. Can I have the prayer ministry team come up? And let us pray to close. Uh, we welcome the kingdom into our lives, Lord. We welcome the kingdom uh, into our homes. We welcome the kingdom into our work spaces, into our classrooms, uh, into our commute. Let your kingdom come and that your will be done. I pray, Father, that you would make us change agents. And I pray, Lord, that you would grow us up I pray that you would grow us up in character, that you would grow us up in purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would grow us up in power so that we can obey the commands that Jesus gives us to preach good news of the kingdom and to manifest the good news of the kingdom in whatever way seems useful, even supernatural ways on occasion. Uh, Bring us the lost, Lord, Bring us the sick and hurting. Bring us uh, the lonely. We will minister in your name as you've commanded. In Christ's name, everybody says, amen.